1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. As we always do, we live stream the first couple segments of the program. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can follow along as well. In addition, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I send out a number of tweets over the course of the day, including a couple tweets to give you an idea of some of the things we're going to be talking about in advance on the, of the program, in addition to links to some of the stories so you can follow. All right. The story about the kids from Covington, Kentucky, does not go away. Today, the Native American activist whose story is a lot more complicated than when the mainstream media originally latched on it. Anyhow, he was on the Today Show, and he was saying that I don't think I did anything wrong, etc., etc. And so the story continues to, again, compound itself. I've said before, I don't think the kids were heroes, but I certainly don't think that they were villains. And I think the focus of the mainstream media in not paying attention to the group, the hate group, the self-defined hate group of black racists who were screaming at the kids and why this guy who was disrupt there to disrupt other things in Washington, D.C., why he decided to, while banging his drum, walk into the middle of this group of kids, why he decided to do that is just still absolutely beyond me. So I don't, I don't see anybody as being heroes here, and I'm not sure who the real villains are. Certainly the, the racist group that was screaming stuff at the kids is a villain of this. I don't see the kids as being villains necessarily, although I don't give them this hero status as well. But one of the things that has clearly inflamed the discussion is the fact that a number of the students that were involved in this were, wait for it, wearing red caps that had the Make America Great language on them. And that is unquestionably what has fueled a lot of the discussion and a lot of the hatred that is being devoted and directed towards the kids. There was one Hollywood celebrity, I'm not even going to give her the time of day by mentioning her name, sent out a tweet saying, the, the Make America Great Again caps, that is the new symbol of Klan membership. It's the equivalent of wearing a white hood. Let me share with you a portion of a piece that appears in the Washington Post today. The Make America Great Again hat is not a statement of policy. It's an inflammatory declaration of identity. All right, here's what the opinion writer writes. The bright red Make America Great Again baseball cap entered the popular culture as candidate Donald Trump's political swag. It has transformed into an open wound, a firestorm of hate and a marker of societal atavism. An aesthetically benign baseball baseball cap is a 21st century grotesquerie. Has there been in recent memory any other item of clothing so specific in design and color that pits neighbors against each other, causes classroom altercations, sparks both fear and rage, and ultimately alludes to little more than a mirage? Um, the Make America Great Again hat is not a statement of policy. It's a declaration of identity. The Make America Great Again hat. The acronym reads like a guttural cry, an angry roar. Mega. It calls out to a time back in some sepia-tinged period when America was greater than it is now, for which a lot of Americans means a time when this country still had a lot of work to do before it was even tolerant, let alone welcoming of them and their kind. Um, the past was not greater. It is simply past. All right, in the beginning, 
the Make America Great Again hat had multiple meanings and nuance. It could reasonably argue that it was about foreign policy or tax cuts, social conservatism, the working class, or a celebration of small-town life. But the definition has evolved. The rosy nostalgia has turned specious and rank. There is nothing banal or benign about the hat, no matter its wearer's intent. It was weaponized by the punch-throwing Trump rally-goers, the Charlottesville white supremacists, Trump's nomination of Supreme Court Justice Brett M. Kavanaugh, Kanye West and proponents of the wall, the wall, the wall. The hat has become a symbol of us versus them, of exclusion and suspicion, of garrulous narcissism, of white male privilege, of violent violence and hate for minorities and the disenfranchised. It can spark a kind of gut level disgust that brings ancestral ghosts to the fore. And here in 2019, their painful past is present. The Make America Great Again hat speaks to America's greatness with lies of omission and contortion. To wear a Make America Great hat is to wrap oneself in the Confederate flag. The look may be more modern and the fit more precise, but it's just as woeful and ugly. To wear the hat is to take on history and divisiveness, because whatever personal meaning might be attached to the hat, the new, broader cultural meaning overrides. It's too late to save the hat from this face, fate, and it's too late to try to reclaim it and give it new life and then it goes on and on etc etc you get the tone the hat is a provocation it it is is its corrosiveness too much for high school students to understand no they've studied american history they can sort through complex issues related to the second amendment climate change and abortion to not only have an opinion but to organize to change the opinion of others they are digital natives who understand the power of images Armed with so much knowledge, it is perhaps more jolting loss, a graver reality, when youth is wrecked by the acid hatred symbolized by the hat. To deny the hat's message is to be in denial, not about a misunderstanding or an unfortunate incident, but a familiar festering truth. It goes on and on and on, as you might expect. And this is just one sample of some of the stuff that's out there. So let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know how to put this any other way. If you choose to wear a Make America Great Again hat, is is that the equivalent of saying, hey, I am a modern-day Klansman? This is the equivalent of, again, wearing the white hood of a KKK member. Is it a sign of hate? Is it a sign of divisiveness? Does it say that you are a hater, that you are a racist? Is that the message that is sent when you wear that sort of hat? And do we fault people then for doing it? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Once again, we live stream this on Facebook.com. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. But for those of you, and my guess is, my guess is there might even be some some if you, if you some people who are listening who perhaps you you even from time to time have worn one of those Make America Great Again hats. Is that the assumption? You see a bunch of kids. They're wearing Make America Great Again hats. Well, they must have then deserved everything that happened because clearly the black hate group assumed that they were all racists because the kids had the Make America Great hats on. All right, is this the new Klan? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 
1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, another opinion piece on this. Let's see, this is in something called Quartz Magazine. The most controversial accessory in the United States looks simple enough. A straightforward phrase, make America great again. An ugly design, barely legible text printed on blinding red fabric. In its font, it looks like it was last used in 1996. The point is that the Make America Great hat has come to be a symbol imbued with meaning well beyond the literal command to make America great again. Wearing the hat is not a neutral act. It will betray the wearer in an affiliation with the racist, racist and nationalist factions among Trump supporters. Um, it may not. At the very least, it shows that the wearer is unmoved by the fact that their hat makes people uncomfortable. If the smirking kid had called someone a racial slur, this is talking about the Covington thing, he would not be able to release a statement just saying, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away from the whole thing. The hat is becoming more like that. I can personally say, as a, and this is another writer, as an, an African American who sometimes has a large terrorist looking beard, if I see someone with a Make America Great hat on, I become afraid they will tell me to go back to my home country or punch me in the face. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is a hat. And this is the reaction that you have from people nowadays. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I, I have a more I have a nuanced view of President Trump. Doing this show would perhaps be easier if I just completely drank the Kool-Aid and thought that everything he did was great. Or if I drank the Kool-Aid and just completely hated everything he does. That's not this show, and that's not me. It is a nuanced view. Donald Trump does some things that I I think are are good. I think some things are going to turn out to be good for the country. In many cases, he does them in ways that I find to be boorish and ham-handed. But at at the same time, I give him credit when he accomplishes things, and I like to think I criticize him when he's doing stuff that I, I think is just counterproductive or whatever. But this idea... Now that's being promulgated out there is that if you have the audacity to publicly support President Trump, if you are one of, then if you believe the polls, the 35 or 36 or 37 percent of the population that believes President Trump is doing a good job and you display it by wearing that hat. Well, the idea that you are you're a racist, you're a hater, you're a member of the Klan. I think is just incredibly offensive. And this idea that we're going to be able to then make these sort of judgments. Well, if you're wearing that Make America Great hat, you kind of get what you deserve. Well, that's why you had the black hate group uh, that was screaming the the racial slurs at the kids. That's why the, the guy from the American Indian movement was right to go in and confront him and bang on the drums. You know, really? It's a hat, 414-799-1620, and it is an expression of, again, support for a political candidate, or in this case, the President of the United States. You might not like the President of the United States. You might not agree with the President of the United States. You might think the President of the United States is this or that or the other, but this idea that, well, all his supporters and anybody who would wear this hat has to be a racist or a hater and pretty much deserves what they get. Well, of course, you had these groups, these hate groups that were screaming at the kids. They were wearing these hats. Don't you understand? Give me a break. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you yes. think? Uh, a couple of years ago, 
I got a Christmas card from from Donald Trump during during the election, and it it had the the him wearing the hat, the Pledge of Allegiance. And I cut it all apart and got it printed on T-shirts. And I'm proud to wear that T-shirt with that hat showing on there. I'm not proud of some of the things he does with his Twitter accounts, but basically, I think he's doing a good job. Well, yeah, okay. So you got to understand, Bill, that when when you go out in public, you know, wearing that, you understand that some people view you as a racist and a hater, and you're out there trying to provoke a reaction from them. They're sick, I think. Well, you're right, exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, last time I checked, that this was America. Now, I understand that there's some people who believe that in America, well, what you have to do is, is you have to all think about things the same way. And, you know, we're, we're, it's okay if you wear, if you want to wear, I don't know, like one of those, the, those hats, like the, what do they call them? The, the, the pussy hats that they had on. Remember you had those that were, that's okay. You, you can wear that. And that's, and, and that's, that's great. Um, you can express your opinions with t-shirts that say whatever you want to say. But on the other hand, if you wear the Make America Great hat, that means that, well, anything that, you know, we want to say about you, because this is our perception, that means you are a supporter of Donald Trump. And if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, that means that you've got to be a hater and you've got to be racist. Well, okay, maybe you're a supporter of Donald Trump because maybe you believe in building the wall. I'm agnostic on the wall. I've said that. But maybe you believe in that. And and maybe you believe that, you know, it's time to return America to, you know, some of the things that did make it great and you can have that discussion you know is do you agree or not and that's what elections are for i understand all that but to essentially say well these kids were dupes because they were wearing this hat and they essentially deserve what they get that's what i find to be offensive about this entire situation let's see here's a text if someone wears a red make america great again hat it means they are pro-trump yeah, I think it does. That means they support the lying con man currently residing in the White House. Well, okay, th- again, see, this is the attitude. And this is what you get from the Trump haters that are out there. Well, anybody that would support him and anybody that would have the audacity to publicly, publicly recognize this, well, that means they've got to be haters. That means that they have to be evil. Well, okay, it, it might just mean that they support President Trump. And I understand in this tribal world that we're in now that if you support President Trump, that's the worldview of the people that hate President Trump. I, I get it. But the, the reality is maybe you just support President Trump and the 37 percent right now in the polls or the people that voted for him two years ago. I don't know I, if you want to dismiss all those people as saying they're racist and they're haters or whatever. OK, that that's that's fine. But I think that's wrong. 1227 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Uh, Marquette University Law School has a new poll out. Uh, this poll is really mostly about issues, trying to get a handle on where Wisconsin stands. This is when you try to do this. This is really tougher because a lot of people who answer the poll questions, if, if you phrase the question a different way, they might answer it a different way, and a lot of people 
perhaps don't even understand sometimes the impact of um, of the question. For example, this is one that I'm sure drew a lot of confusion. They asked whether or not Wisconsin should withdraw from the lawsuit seeking to overturn Obamacare. Pretty much a split verdict, 48% saying yes, 42% saying no. I, I wonder, you know, how many people really kind of understood the implications of that. Let's see, some of the other things they asked were um da, 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 da. uh do you da, 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 da. let's see I'm kind of looking through some of the things that they were there voters are reluctant to raise taxes and fees for roads and highways 52% prefer to keep gas taxes and fees where they are 42% favor increasing gas taxes and fees among republicans 69% oppose tax increases among democrats 58% favor tax increases uh let's see 55% of respondents supports increasing the minimum wage 39% oppose I, I don't know if they asked what you think the minimum wage um should be raised to which would seem to be the uh, you know the the major question then they asked about you know redistricting they asked if should prisoners be released um if they demonstrate they are no longer a threat to society um opinions divided i mean okay well how how do you demonstrate that you're no longer a threat to society in any event that they're polling on, on issues and it seems to me to be pretty much of a mismatch mishmash and it also shows something that's not a surprise and i think we've known for a long time and that is that that we in wisconsin are, are pretty much divided and remain divided on the issues well should you raise the gas tax no should you get rid of the obamacare thing no no i mean people are split on that which is what makes this such an interesting state to live in politically all right i want to switch gears and i really do want to get your reaction to this story milwaukee has gone in big time in trying to secure the 2020 democratic national convention now one of the things that they have going for them is that you know a couple of the owners of the bucks the lazarys big time democrat you know operatives big fundraisers, etc., and they're they're billionaires. So I, I think, you know, they're they're part of the group that's behind this and, and pushing it. So a Democratic National Convention would in fact be a big deal. Milwaukee is one of three cities that are in consideration. They're the f- three finalists. One is Miami, one is Houston, and one is Milwaukee. Now Houston and Miami are of course you know, bigger cities, more hotels and things like that. At the same time, the Democratic National Convention is going to be in the summer. And if you've ever spent a July in either Miami or in Houston, you know that that, that's not the best place to be. So, I mean, from a weather perspective, believe it or not, this is a situation where Milwaukee's weather really does, I think, work in its favor. There's issues, of course, with the number of hotel rooms that you would end up needing. But there's another reason why you might want why Democrats might want to come to Milwaukee, and that is that Wisconsin is going to be, of course, one of the pivotal states in the 2020 presidential election. Donald Trump does not become the president of the United States if it weren't for the fact that he carried Wisconsin and surprised a, a lot of people. 
Democrats don't want that to happen again. So I think there's this school of thought that, hey, if you come to Wisconsin, that will make it more likely that whoever the nominee is, nominee is will carry Wisconsin. Because if you carry Wisconsin, well, you make Trump's road to the White House, if he's running for re-election, or any other Republican who might be running, you make it more difficult. Houston, Texas. Texas is going to vote Republican. You're not going to change that fact. Florida, always a swing state. So you could argue by going to Miami, you're trying to affect the same thing you're trying to affect if you come to Milwaukee. Florida, of course, a a bigger state, another state that went for Trump in 2016 that Democrats hope to swing back to the Democrats. But, you know, getting a convention, whether it be a Republican convention or a Democrat convention or whatever, is a big deal. I mean, there's no question that it would bring a ton of money into the city. So let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At some point in time, I think it's important for people to take their partisan hats off and put on their public good hats. I think it would be an outstanding thing were Milwaukee to land the Democratic National Convention. I just don't see a downside to this. Number one, it gives the city a chance to showcase itself in a time where, I mean, let's face it, if, if you're if you're looking for when does the city of Milwaukee wants one of the opportunities when southeast Wisconsin puts its best foot forward, and that is, you know, during the summer months when we've got so much great stuff going on, you've got the access to the lake, you've got all those different activities, plus I don't care what your politics are. If you look at all the revenue opportunities, imagine what bringing thousands and thousands of people and all the national news coverage into Milwaukee is going to do. Think about the hotel rooms. Think about the restaurants. Think about the opportunities for economic development. To me, and I know this might sound odd, this is one where I am a cheerleader. I mean, if the Democrats want to come to Wisconsin and spend their money here, my reaction would be, you are very welcome. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would you like to see this happen? And I guess the second question would be, do you think it has a realistic chance of happening? Uh, The big development yesterday was that Milwaukee announced that it has secured a line of credit Um. From a third party, no taxpayer dollars involved, a third party had stepped forward to off, open up a line of credit to essentially underwrite some of the expenses that would ensue from trying to bring the convention in. They're not saying who that party is or who those parties were. I think you don't have to think too hard to make a guess as to at least some of the people, if there's multiple people involved in it. But I think this would be great for the area. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Could this realistically happen? And do you think it would be a good thing? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Milwaukee is one of three finalists for the Democratic National Convention in July of 2020. Houston and Miami are the other two. Milwaukee took a a step 
towards this yesterday, they announced that they'd secured a third-party line of credit, which means an individual or individuals came up and they guaranteed a line of credit to pay for expenses. They're not saying how big this was, and they're not saying who it was. Like I said, I don't think you, I don't think it's too hard to figure out who was probably involved in pushing this. But I will tell you, politics aside, I think this would be a great opportunity for for Milwaukee. And if Democrats want to come and hang out here for a week and the news media wants to come and hang out here for a week and spend a lot of money and fill up all the hotels, I say bring it on. I mean, maybe if they raise a bunch of money and pay a lot of taxes for the hotels, maybe you don't have the parking checkers having to run out and write thousands of tickets in a couple hour period every time it snows. Tom in Mequon. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I'll, I'll use your two words. Politics aside, um, uh, financially speaking and image speaking, I'd like to change the question that you're asking to why would you not want this this convention in Milwaukee? Because I'm truly excited, and I, I won't bear my political allegiance at all, but financially and image-wise, what an outstanding opportunity. Well, right, and it's a chance to, it, again, it's a chance to showcase... Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin at, at a time when it's it's best. All the stuff on the lakefront and all the different activities. And I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to bring thousands of people into the city who are going to be spending money and staying in hotels and going to restaurants, I, I say bring them on. I think that's a great thing. Right. No, I agree. Yeah, thanks for calling. No, and that's and I mean, I, I think that's the way that you you have to look at it. Now, I'm again, I'm somewhat, I'm still somewhat skeptical because we're we're just we are not as big a city as the other cities but i do i mean i do understand there is an appeal the idea of you have that you know democrats if they're going to win back the white house have to carry wisconsin in 2020 that's at least some of the thoughts and so here this is perhaps a, a way to do it by by holding the convention there that same argument could certainly apply to florida and that's a justification for being in miami miami certainly a, a more glamorous city no offense to milwaukee but it's a more glamorous type of city but you know miami miami in july is well what's the word hot tom in greenfield tom you're on wtmj hello yes jeff i think i'd have to agree with you that why not show uh, the new pfizer and why not show Summerfest and all the other things downtown, or restaurants, and everything else. Uh, look at the green. Uh, look at the Green Bay Packers up in Lambeau, or, or the small city. Why shouldn't we be the small city that uh, said we could and got the convention and enjoyed it and had the good taste in people's mouths? Um, no, right, exactly. I mean, I guess that's kind of how I look at it. Now, I mean, I understand that. You know, if this were the Republican National Convention, the the interesting thing would be that you you'd wonder, well, okay, how how many of of the kooky lefties who have you know staged all the various protests over the years, the the folks that you know occupied the state capitol during the last legislative session, how many of the you know anti Act Ten types, how many of those people would be storming down to Milwaukee and trying to create disruptions? But but th- that's not the case. Um, you know, Republicans aren't going to do that. That's just the the reality. Uh, I don't think you're going to have to have anywhere near the police presence that you might have had otherwise. Uh, and you want to be safe. You want to be secure. But I, I suspect it would be a great convention. To me, the biggest hesitation they're probably going to have is, do they have enough hotel rooms? Can they get enough hotel rooms? How far out do you want to be? I mean, I remember in, I was, I, I went to the 1996 
Republican National Convention in San Diego. And that was always one of the big issues. It was hotel rooms because, I mean, there were some delegations, not the Wisconsin delegation, but there were some delegations that were 30 and 40 minutes away. And that clearly was a bit of a of a pain when you're in the buses back and forth all those times. I don't know how many hotel rooms they'd be able to secure, but at the same time, Look, at the end of the day, I'm pro-business, and if you got an opportunity to bring thousands of conventioneers and all the people that come with them and all the media and stuff, and you have a chance to locate them in southeastern Wisconsin for a week with their wallets open, I say bring it on, and I hope Tom Barrett's able to deliver on this one. It's 1252. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, Greg Matzik was just talking about the, the Farmers Insurance Open. That That's, you know, everybody's everybody's all upset about, well, Miller Park's name is changing to something sponsored by American Family. And, I mean, that you know, that's another great example of how you've had, think about all the different golf tournaments that are out there and how sponsorships change over the, the years. I mean, just think about, you know, what happened in Milwaukee. For years and years, you had the Greater Milwaukee Open, and then it then became the U.S. Bank Open when they were the sponsor. That's not unusual. Farmers Insurance Open, which is played at Tory Pines, which is kind of outside of San Diego, that's been a number of things over the years. Uh, the, the reason a lot of people are paying attention to that is the Tiger Woods, who you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he is in his 40s, and I understand that, that is, that's, that's young, but it's not necessarily young if you are a golfer. And he's had a number of personal reverses in his life and also a number of physical ailments and he came back and he won the the tour championship and so this is his first tournament he's playing he's always played very very well at Torrey Pines which is where the golf course is and so he's playing this golf tournament he just teed off he's like one over par after two holes but it's going to be kind of an interesting it's going to be a test to see where Tiger Woods is because I understand that love him or hate him and more people love him than hate him he is just a huge draw and continues to be so it'll be interesting to see what he does and how well he does in this tournament all right. If you follow me on Twitter, and again, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I try to give. I try to send out some links to some of the stories that we're going to be talking about during the course of the day. And and this is one. Like as I have tried to argue, I I I like to think I have a relatively nuanced view of the president. And and maybe maybe in today's day and age, you can't be nuanced. But the truth is. I have never drank the Kool-Aid and believe that everything that Donald Trump does is great. And I've also never drank the other Kool-Aid, which, you know, the, the absolute hatred that's out there, that the man can't do anything, and he's this horrible human being. And it, it, the, the, the truth is much more complicated than that. And some of the stuff he does, even if you don't like the way he goes about it, is is effective and it's good, and other stuff isn't. But it's it's a nuanced, I try to have a nuanced sort of view, that this this federal shutdown, and we've talked about this before, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this aspect of the story, to me is incredibly frustrating. And one of the things that's most frustrating, it's a $4.4 trillion budget. $5 billion is a drop in the bucket. That That's just the reality of this. I understand that's a lot of money. I get it. But in the context of a $4.4 trillion budget, it, it's a drop in the bucket. And apparently there were reports yesterday that House Democrats were willing to commit 
$5.7 billion to border security. They'd give essentially the money as long as there was a guarantee that none of it would be spent on protective fencing. And that, that to me, just, I mean, highlights how petty and ridiculous this entire thing is. As I've been saying for the longest time, this is one where if if we had grown-ups that were running the show, you, you make a deal. You sit there and you say, okay, you know, we, we understand anybody – in their right mind, should I think understand that any time you're talking about security for a boundary, that a wall, a fence, has some role in it. Now, I've always thought it was ridiculous to talk about building a concrete, giant concrete wall across the length of the U.S. border. Never made any sense to me. And, and But at the same time, in certain areas, do you have, whether you want to call it protective fencing or a wall or whatever, does that make sense? Of course it makes sense. Like I have the best example I give. Summerfest has fences around it. Why? Because they want people to go through the gates so you can make sure that you've paid tickets and aren't sneaking in. All right, if it's good enough for Summerfest, why isn't it good enough for certain parts on the border? That's just the reality of this. This should never have come to this Point. And I understand that if you view it through the prism of Trump is evil, you're not going to agree with that. If you view it through the prism of you know, Democrats are evil. But if, if the Democrats are willing to come up with $5.7 billion in border security, but it's conditioned on not one dime going towards protective fencing, that's just absolutely ridiculous. That, and Democrats don't want to give in because they don't want to be seen as giving anything to Donald Trump and they think that they're winning in the polls. Well, okay, maybe sometimes you need to be the bigger person. Ah. But regardless, it, it has this has to get resolved, and I'm just frustrated by the whole thing. And my reaction kind of is a pox on, on everybody's house. It just demonstrates the dysfunction that is politics nowadays. The one thing that does particularly rile me about this and and i i've used the word immoral that gets thrown around a lot do i think a fence to keep people out is immoral no i i don't are are the gates they have at miller park immoral because they you know they they want you to go through the gates and make sure you have a ticket no i, I don't think a fence to try to keep people from entering the country Ill- illegally is immoral something that i do think however is immoral is making people work and not paying them for their work in a timely fashion. If you want to shut down the government, I, I say, great, that, that that's fine, do it, but then you should shut down the government. This isn't what we're doing now. You know, we have the government continuing to operate. You have hundreds of thousands of people that are on an unpaid fur- furloughed, but at least they're not working. But you also have hundreds of thousands of people that we are making go in, we are making work, and we are not paying them. And it's starting to, to show its signs. You know, we talked about this yesterday. More and more of these employees are starting to say, no, we're going to call in sick or, or whatever, and it's beginning to create problems. And at some point in time, unfortunately, something bad is going to happen. I mean, maybe it's going to be people don't get their income tax return checks processed in a timely fashion. Um, people have to wait in line longer to get on airplanes. It, th- there's going to be something that, that happens to precipitate this. But I think it's wrong to make people work without being paid. And the idea that we're going to pay them later on, well, that to me, that that's just not good enough. You would not put up with that. It's one thing if you want to say, stay home, you're on layoff, you're not going to get paid and you're not working. But if, if you come in day after day and you show up and you punch your clock, well, you know, you deserve to be paid in a timely fashion. I just I feel very, very strongly about that. 
So now government workers have who have been required to work have missed one paycheck and they're on the verge of missing another one. And this is creating a problem for government workers because they have expenses as well. And I understand people are going to get paid at some point in time, but that, that doesn't help when you're getting when the when bills are due. That doesn't help when the child, the daycare center that watches your kids, you know, they're saying, okay, well, we, we appreciate that, you know, you, you're in a bad situation and you're supposed to go in to work, but you know, you want to leave your kid with us. You, you got to pay because we have those expenses as well. So to me, the immorality of this whole thing has been requiring people to work and not paying them in a prompt fashion. And that's why I, I think if nothing else, Congress and the president should get together and they should immediately authorize immediate payments for those employees who are being required to work. Well, into this, whole thing, and, and as a result of not being paid, there are the reports now that a number of federal employees are turning to alternate ways to try to get by, including going to food banks and things of the like. All right? So here's the story today. William Ross, who is the Commerce Secretary, Ross is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He made his money by buying bankrupt companies, so he'd buy companies really, really cheap, and then he, you know, he'd do these leveraged buyouts, and then kind of turning them around and, and selling them. That that's how he made his money. So here is the story: William Ross, who is multimillionaire, um, he goes on CNBC today, and he, he's asked about these reports that you have federal workers who haven't been paid, who are now going to food banks. And I think he's talking about not just the ones who are working, but also the ones who are laid off. And so they say, okay, you know, have you heard about this and are you concerned about it? And he essentially says that he doesn't understand why federal workers are visiting food banks. He says that instead of doing this, he thinks they should seek low interest loans from banks and credit unions to supplement their lost wages. He said, here, just just take out a loan to cover your expenses while the government is shut down. Yeah, you'll pay some interest, but, you know, that'll help you cover costs. Um, The idea that it's paycheck or zero is not really a valid idea. There's no reason why some institution wouldn't be willing to lend. So in essence, he's saying, well, this shouldn't be a, this shouldn't be a, a big deal. I don't understand why federal workers would have to go to use food banks. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I think this was an incredibly dumb thing to say. And I don't say that very often. But I think that this, to me... Is it's kind of like Wilbur Ross's Marie Antoinette let them eat cake moment. I mean, th- this idea that, all right, we have all these workers, they're involuntarily laid off. Yeah, they're going to get paid at some point in time, but what's the big deal? I don't understand why they might be going to food banks or something like that. I mean, I, let, let them go to banks and try to take out short-term loans. What world does this guy live in? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Larry in Milwaukee. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, thanks Larry. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. And, uh, thanks, thanks for being a voice for us because uh, we really don't have much to stand on. 
We really don't. Everybody's kind of got that, you know what, you guys are just a bunch of lazy, you should have had your money saved for times like this. And it's so much further from the truth, it's not even funny, but it's it's gotten to the scary level where, uh, yeah, we're putting our money together collectively, um, coming up with uh, ways to try to get this to get resolved. I don't know. Nobody thought it would take this long. Mm-hmm. And to, to be a veteran it even hurts more that people that haven't served that are in this power to hold us to this now, that are, are supposedly leadership, senators and congressmen, it is unbelievable on how they have taken the morale and, and just as a person and treated us like this. Because basically, you're saying that security of this country doesn't matter to you. Really, it all comes down to security, moral or immoral, whatever they're kind of coming up with. And now it's to the point of we hate him so much and he doesn't want to budge. And it's, it's so, I wish, I don't know what it's going to take, but it's going to come down to something catastrophic, I believe. Or we just can get rid of all of them. Let, Larry, let me ask you this. I, I assume you are a federal worker. I am, sir. I've oh. been doing 56 hours a week now. Okay, well, that was my next question. So you are an essential worker, so you've been you've been working this whole time, and you have not been paid as of yet. No, correct. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but, I mean, obviously – not getting a timely paycheck and being expected to to work nonetheless that's got to have some impact on you oh it's, it's horrible it's so stressful it's unbelievable i mean be, besides the things on your with your family life and you know kids and wife that we depending on on money thank god she's working mm-hmm. and that was only on account of uh, being overseas and getting a benefit for her to go to college, and she's a nurse that we're living off of that income right now. Yeah. No, I. No, well, uh, Larry, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And I, I, I mean, I hope nothing catastrophic has to come of this, but this, this is just no way to run a, a railroad. And with all due respect to the Commerce Secretary, I think this is one of the most incredibly tone-deaf things that I have ever heard. It really is kind of let him eat cake. Well, guys like Larry, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. So, you know, he's, he's worked for the last 30 days. You know, we, we haven't paid him, and, and we, we've, we've made him work, and we haven't paid him. I mean, I don't understand why somebody would have to go to a food bank or would have to apply for unemployment. Or, I just don't, I don't understand that. Go to banks, get low-interest loans. I mean, really? I mean, uh, some bank would probably guarantee that. I mean, why don't why doesn't the government? And again, this is not a partisan thing. Why doesn't the government get its act together? And at least for those workers who are being required to work, why don't they pay them? Um, I mean, look, it's a whole different case. The people that have been furloughed. All right. Well, you know that sometimes there are involuntary layoffs or there's strikes or whatever that that's. That's one thing. But for the people that are being required to work, they deserve to get paid. And to say, well, I don't understand why it's a big deal. I don't, I don't know why they'd go to food banks. Uh, just go to, go take out a loan. Really? Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, um, you're absolutely right. They're completely tone deaf when they say things like this. Um, the, the federal government employs a lot of different people, and they employ – doctors and lawyers, and they're going to be fine because they make a higher income, they're able to save just because of their, their education, they're, they're in a much better position. There are a lot of people who are either support staff or uh, like the TSA employees. Right. You know, they, they're not making a lot of money working that, you know, that later shift at the airport, uh, and for them to miss 
uh, two paychecks now. It's it's just unbelievable to me. And, and you know, the politicians want to talk about uh, this wall is immoral or whatever. But you have, uh, and some of these families, you know, people meet each other while they're on the job, and a lot of these families are, are two federal sure. employee families. And so there's nothing coming in for a lot of these people. Well, well let me give you an example. Okay, horrible. these IRS employees that they, they've now called in to process tax returns, all right? On average, depending on seniority, they make between $21,000 and $50,000 a year. So, I mean, this idea that, oh, well, you know, how, how can anybody be so irresponsible to live from paycheck to paycheck? Well, my guess is that there's a lot of people, you know, who are making that kind of money, and, and that's kind of what they do. Maybe they've got a little bit of set, money set aside, but that's not going to last very long. They've got the car payments. They've got the mortgage payments. They've got all this stuff done, and telling them, go to a bank and get a loan, I just, it's like, really? Why don't you settle the thing and get people paid? You know, they should be locked into a room. There should be some consequence. If you're uh, in 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 Congress or the Senate, you should be required to stay there. Instead, they they were gone all these weekends. No one was sitting down and negotiating. There has to be a mechanism put in place that forces them to sit in a room and hammer this out. You know, Pelosi wanted to go to Afghanistan and visit the troops. Well, that's all great and fine, but there are a lot of people's lives that are being impacted for this, uh, you know, dog and pony show that everybody's putting on. It is. Yep. Thanks for call. We're going to continue this. If you're on the line, please hold on. I mean, again, I, I understand we talk a lot about the the shutdown aspect, but the, the breaking news story today is the Commerce Secretary essentially saying, I don't understand why this is a big deal for these federal workers, and I don't understand why they'd be going to food banks. I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, they, they could they could take loans out at banks. Really? Back with more calls in a moment. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, David and Mequon. Hi, David. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. You know, it's a horrible um, mis-disconnect as far as what uh, Mr. Wilbur Ross is stating. It, and it's it's really unbecoming of, you know, Congress Secretary to say that. That being said, um, I would add that, you know, there's a lot more people than just Mr. Ross who are at fault for this, obviously. Sure. And, you know, I think the bigger point is this, is that, and I do follow Dan uh, Crenshaw, the new congressman out of Texas, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they actually were proposing a bill to do exactly what you're speaking of, which was to pay the people that have been working. Right. And only six Democrats voted for that bill. And, And it's just ridiculous that it would be, you know, that the partisan politics is now ground to that point to where you're trying to help out, you know, the people that are doing the work that are, you know, showing up every day and right. they're putting these families at risk. It's disgusting. No, it, it, it really, I'm ashamed. It, I'm it, ashamed. I, David, it is. I, I mean, I'm kind of like a pox on all their houses. I mean, it, it's, I, I understand that there's some people who hate Donald Trump and don't want to be seen as giving him any victories. There's other people who say, well, we, we've got to have this, this border wall. The, the bottom line is, and I keep coming back to this, 5B as in billion dollars, it is, you're not going to build a whole wall. You're just, you're just not. 
Um, I don't think that that's an unreasonable sort of thing, but the Democrats don't want to give him a victory. He doesn't feel that he can back down on this particular issue. At the end of the day, the the people that are getting trampled, there's an old African saying that say when the elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. They're, They're the people that are, I don't know, doing the food inspections and processing our tax returns and, you know, sitting at the TSA desk and making sure that some terrorist doesn't get on an airplane and that the rest of us can get through in a timely fashion that's that is what's so frustrating and wilbur ross a a guy who's worth 700 plus million dollars and the commerce secretary i don't think he helps anybody when he says why i don't understand why these federal employees are having a problem i mean they're they're what do you mean they're living paycheck to paycheck and what do you mean they they have to go to a food bank well okay you got some federal employee that's making 30 grand a year that's now missed a, a few missed a few paychecks ah, and the mortgage is due and the daycare has to be paid and all that stuff i understand 138 jeff wagner wtmj uh if if you go to fiserv forum and 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 i go i have season tickets to the marquette basketball games and, and one of the i think the things that's really great is they've got a number of different food choices now i typically eat before i i go to the game but they've got a they've got a couple sobelmans there they've got an iron great barbecue they've got a pizza place i would say though and this is just this is just again it's anecdotal based on my observations i would say the most popular the most popular stands at the at the Fiserv Forum, and, and and maybe I just noticed this because this particular stand is right where I go in for my seats. But it is Chick Fil A. They've they've got a Chick Fil A operation at, at Fiserv Forum, and it seems to me that, that there's always you know lines that are you know stretching through the the different barricades that they have. So I mean, and I, I'm a big fan. We've talked about this before. I like Chick Fil A as far as I think they do. As far as fast food, I think they do it really, really well. There have been two occasions, however, when I've been to Fiserv Forum in the last couple weeks where if you wanted Chick-fil-A, you couldn't get it. And that is because Marquette, for whatever reason, has had two games at Fiserv Forum on Sunday mornings. Uh, Last Sunday and then a couple weeks before that, they played at 11 o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday. Well, okay, you might say, well, Jeff, what's the problem with Chick-fil-A? Well, if you don't know this, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. And that's, that is the company-wide policy. What, what the owner says. Now, Chick-fil-A, it goes back to 1946. And the, the policy that the founder had was that they were going to be closed on on Sundays. And and this is what they say. They say, having worked seven days a week in restaurants, open 24 hours, uh, Truett, Truett Cafe was the, the, the founder. Truett saw the importance of closing on Sundays so that he and his employees could set aside one day to rest and worship if they choose, a practice we uphold today. So Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. So if you go to an event at Pfizer Forum and you want a Chick-fil-A sandwich on Sunday, you're not going to be able to get it. They, they are closed, and there's almost no exceptions to that rule. There have been a couple occasions... Um, for example, um, after a tornado in 2015, a few stores near Dallas opened up and provided food to recovery crews for free after you know this tornado that came through. And uh, last year, when 
they, they had a Chick-fil-A at the Atlanta airport, and there was apparently a power failure that stranded all these travelers. Well, in an emergency situation, some people came in and they made food for the people that were stuck. But otherwise, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Okay, here's where this becomes interesting. The Super Bowl is a week from Sunday. It is being played in Atlanta. And in the Atlanta stadium, um, there's there's a big concourse that has a Chick-fil-A operation. You know, they, they sell Chick-fil-A at the Atlanta stadium. So the Super Bowl is coming up. So the question, and they call it the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It, it's it's had a couple different names, but let's. It's the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. the The sandwich chain has this location. It's the Super Bowl, arguably a day when you're going to have more people than you you've ever had there before. And the authorities were saying to the Chick Fil A folks, "We would like you to make an exception to your policy because this place is going to be packed. It is the Super Bowl." We would like you to make an exception, and we would like you to be open on Super Bowl Sunday. This is a special occasion. We'd like you to be open. And Chick-fil-A has just come out and said, no, we are going to continue to be closed. I mean, that's, we're, we're not gonna, we are not going to be open um, for Super Bowl Sunday. And we understand that we're giving up exposure because you're going to have people coming from all over the country. And we understand, obviously, that we're giving up revenue. But, you know, we're, we're staying closed. Right. Things have changed since 1946 or whenever the first Chick-fil-A was founded. This is the Super Bowl. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given the fact that it's 2019, now look, I, I understand that the company can do whatever it wants. Right? That, that's they, they, they get to make that decision as to whether they're going to be open or not. But given that it's 2019, given that I'm sure there are some employees who would volunteer to work if you asked, do you think it's something that Chick-fil-A should be applauded for by saying we're not going to be open for the Super Bowl? Or do you think this is just kind of maybe silly? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, my guess is that you could find, you know, workers who would be more than willing to volunteer to get into the Super Bowl and and you know work the concession stands during the, this this big event. But Chick Fil A says no. We're we're not going to we're not going to do that. We are going to stay closed. This is our company policy. Is that silly? or something you think that they should be applauded for. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is if you worked in the hospitality industry at some point in time in your life, you know exactly you know what it's talking about when you're expected to work evenings and weekends and holidays when everybody else is at home. All right, do you applaud Chick-fil-A for sticking to their guns, or do you think it's dumb? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A number of people are saying 
Well, wait, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, and don't, don't the Atlanta Falcons, don't they play most of their games on Sunday? And the answer is yes. Um, I think there was one Falcons game that was on a Monday night, and those people attended could get to the Chick-fil-A. But the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta hosts a lot of other stuff besides the Falcons, the Peach Bowl. Uh, there's a soccer team that plays there, lots and lots of shows. It's been the home to a Final Four and the SEC Championship and the National Championship. But, but yeah, in this particular case there are people were saying it's the super bowl it's not just any ordinary sunday why don't you open up for the super bowl so all the people that can come can can patronize the chick-fil-a store and chick-fil-a saying sorry we're not going to change our policies do you applaud this or not 414 or is this silly 414-799-1620 let's start with sean in brookfield sean you're first hello hey there um yeah you know what i just think that's so awesome that this guy and this company sticks to their golden rule. And if uh, there were more businesses that shut down on Sundays, like my small business, I think it'd be awesome. Even though I'm a retail store and I know the same things can benefit mm-hmm. me, everybody needs to know that there should be a time when this day was created for that purpose. Do you remember, are you old enough to remember the day when lots and lots of businesses were closed on Sunday, lots of retailers and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. No. Me. You know. Thanks for coming. I mean, me too. And then, of course. And look. And I, I guess I. I think businesses, the, the reality, it, it was. I mean, years and years and years ago, you had lots and lots of stores that were closed on Sunday. That was the, the general thing. And then, of course, I mean, b- because retailers understood that there was business that to be made, and Sunday was one of these days where people could go shopping together and stuff, that, that whole thing changed. And now pretty much everything is open on Sunday, with the exception of Hobby Lobby and, and Chick-fil-A. 414-799-1620, but this is the Super Bowl. Are they missing out by not being open at the Super Bowl? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dale in Janesville. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm sorry, but I applaud this guy. I'm sorry, but I remember when stores, gas stations, everything was closed on a Sunday. And there was one day that the Lord set aside for worship, and that was the Sabbath day. And I, you know what? I don't care if it's the Super Bowl or whatever it is. This guy should be applauded for that. Mm -hmm. Hobby Lobby does the same thing. And I'm all for this guy, and he doesn't care how much money he could make. He's giving those people a chance to rest and go and worship if they prefer. If they choose, yeah. Yep. And and he doesn't know how many people will go and worship, but he's giving them that day to make that decision. And I applaud him for that, and I think that's incredible, and there should be more of that today than not. Thanks for the call. I, I, you, know, he, you know, here's one of the things that's interesting. My, my wife spent her entire career working in the hospitality industry, and it really it gives you a kind of a different perspective because if you work in the hospitality industry, and you know, whether it's a restaurant or a hotel or whatever, you're you're working when everybody else is playing. You're you're working Friday nights. You're working Saturdays. You're you're working Sundays if people are going to go out and and the restaurant's going to be open or the hotel is going to be open. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. You're working on Thanksgiving. You know, you're working on New Year's Eve. All those different sorts of things. And it's just one of the things that's expected. I regardless of where you come down on on the religious issue, 
I mean, I think, you know, a company that says, hey, look, we we want to promote family values and, and we want to stand up and we don't care how much money we're going to make or how much money we're going to lose, that this is the deal. You don't have to worship. You know, we don't, we don't, if you don't want to go to church, don't go to church. But just so you know, you know, the store is going to be closed. All our stores are going to be closed. So this is, you have time off. You know, this is the time you can be with your family if you choose to. I applaud that as well. And this is one of those deals where, you know, the, the company, Chick-fil-A, and I'm a fan, Chick-fil-A is putting its money where its mouth is because my guess is they're going to be losing a ton of money for making this decision. In addition, they're going to be losing a whole lot of exposure that you would get from, uh, again, being one of the places featured at the place where the Super Bowl is being held. But in this particular case, their policy is more important to them. Now, have they made exceptions in the past? Yeah, but we're going to open up and we're going to give out free sandwiches to people who are working for tornado relief or something like that. That's that's that sort of higher purpose that you kind of understand it's an emergency situation. This wouldn't have been an emergency. It would have just been a business opportunity. 414-799-1620. I think I, I applaud Chick-fil-A, and I think they deserve credit. Now, I'm not willing, I'm not one of these guys who's going to go so far as say, I don't think stores should be open on, on Sundays. I think that's a decision that the individual store gets to make. But in this particular case, I, I think it's great that Chick-fil-A has been consistent and the idea that, well, we could really make a lot of money if we were open on the Super Bowl, that's not enough of a lure. Bob in Hales Corners. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hello. I absolutely applaud them for being closed on Sunday and making their decision on the Super Bowl. Um, I personally think that their company benefits more and makes more money by being closed on Sunday because they have happier employees. Um, the employees get that day to re- renew right. their family time together. Everyone's too busy now. And if we can take some time to be with the family, that forgotten family thing, um, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, again, I applaud them, and I wish more people would do that. Yeah, no, thank, well, I mean, I, I think it's it, it's it's part of their philosophy, and I appreciate them being willing to stick to their guns. Now, here's the flip side of a test, Jeff. Everyone doesn't worship on Sundays. It's the Super Bowl. There will be long lines at concessions. They should be open. All right, well, yes, everybody doesn't worship on Sundays. Yes, it's the Super Bowl. Yes, there will be long lines at concessions, which are all reasons, I guess, to justify them being open. At the same time, their company philosophy is we close Sunday to give our, our family members the opportunity to be, you know, our, our workers to the opportunity to be with their families. And, yeah, I'm sure we could probably get volunteers who would be thrilled to come in and man this the, the chicken restaurant during the Super Bowl. That's not consistent with the value we're trying to establish as the company. I, again, I, I give them credit for doing the, doing the right thing. And, and let's, let's just look at the flip side of this. Let's say that they decided, all right, we're going to make an exception. Not, it's not an emergency. It's not like, oh my gosh, you know, we've got, we want to open up to provide, you know, food for, you know, relief workers for a tornado. But we're, we're going to open up because it's the Super Bowl. I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, what the backlash is? A lot of people out there that don't like 
Chick-fil-A as a company because, well, you know, it's run by religious zealots and they're closed on Sundays and they've they've given money to conservative causes and things like that. Can you imagine the allegations of hypocrisy that would come out? Oh, see here, they they were going to be closed on Sunday, except it was an opportunity to make a whole bunch of money. No, I, I just think it's a winner all around. And for the people in Atlanta, get your Chick-fil-A the next day. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Melissa, you you were talking about this song, Stay Freaky Giannis. Stay, stay Freaky Giannis. All right. Okay, so that's I, that I don't could think, be an earworm. Well, it's not going to it's not going to make. <laughs> I don't think Stay Freaky Giannis is going to make the the bumper music. But how does how does Stay Freaky Giannis compare to? No. Okay. Okay. You had to do that to us, Jeff. Why? I, well, I, well, you're the one that played the Stay Freaky Giannis. I know Giannis the Stay stuff. Freaky Giannis. That one stuck in my ear. So all right. Well, this this I, don't I, know. I well all right to the extent that was an earworm. This was my effort to try yeah. to knock that earworm out of your head by by putting in in Baby Shark. I think Stay Freaky Giannis is better than. Baby Shark. Well, this, this, <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't have an opinion. Mm. Neither one is going to make bumper music on the program, but those might be fighting words to some people there, Melissa. That's Uh-oh. that's Melissa Barkley at oh. GoodKarmaBrands.com. <laughs> if, you, right. if, if you if you if you want to go for somebody, right? If you want to go for somebody dissing uh, Baby Shark, yeah, dissing, right? It, it's M Barkley at, at yes, it at is GoodKarmaBrands.com. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. So that's Ooh. she's the Baby Shark hater. I'm I'm mm. the one that's playing. Oh, you don't hate it. That's, you don't. Hate I it. just you know I I, I could. Live without it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, hate is an awful. That thing. is a bad hate, word. Hate but. is a strong word, but you know, if I never heard it again, that Strongly would be fine. Strongly dislike. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Let us let us switch gears. The I, I, I was pulling up these numbers. As a matter of fact, again, if you follow me on Twitter, it, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I send out some links to some of the stories so you can actually see the numbers. But there last year was a record year for voters in Wisconsin voting to increase their own property taxes with school referenda. Um, For example, Wisconsin taxpayers last year voted to put $1.3 billion more into local schools. That was just that 1.3 billion was just on all the referendums that were passed in the election last November. Um, during this last election cycle, voters approved 77 referendums by school districts asking money to either borrow money, asking permission from the voters to either borrow money for building projects or capital projects or exceed their state-mandated revenue limits. 77 passed, five were turned down. So almost every school district that asked for more dough got it. All 23 referendums in southeastern Wisconsin last November, totaling about $555 million, all 23 ballot referendums passed. Some were little. And some were big, like Wauwatosa, Wauwatosa, $124.9 million, which um, that meant property taxes were going to go up by close to $500 a year on a $250,000 house. So clearly, I mean, the, the trend is and the message is, if you put a, a school referendum on the ballot, 
it is going to pass. And a number of other school boards, they, they've, they're with the plan. For example, this April, Shorewood, they're going to be asking for $65 million for district-wide facilities. So there's going to be a $65 million question that would, you know, 31 cents per $1,000 of value. There are other referendums that are on the board as well. New Berlin, those New Berlin's going to have a $25 million school referendum on, on their their ballot. And so all these school districts are asking for more money. Now, this this comes at an interesting time because school enrollments are in most cases flat or declining, whether it's millennials having less kids or whatever. Most school districts are seeing declining enrollment, and most, I think, of the experts, if they were being honest, would acknowledge that that enrollment, those enrollment declines are going to continue. So you're going to have more and more spending when there's fewer and fewer students. At the same time, you have an aging population. People are living longer. People are living on fixed incomes, et cetera, et cetera. And since it's the property tax that ends up paying for this, what's happening is these these massive spending projects and these massive spending things, you know, they're being put on the backs of property tax payers. And in many cases, that's folks that are living on, you know, fixed incomes whose kids are long gone if they ever even had kids. All right. I want to open up the phone lines because this has been an interesting trend. I've been doing this show for a long while. And there was a time, maybe a decade or so ago, maybe more, where it was tough to pass a school spending referendum. Because what happened is you had, you know, you had the advocates for the school spending and there were a lot of other people on the other side who were looking out for the taxpayers and were saying, look, we just, we can't, you know, we can't spend these massive amounts of money on the schools. A couple of the things, like I say, has changed is that the enrollments are going down, but the spending is going up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question. Why is it that you think, why is it that all these school referendums, like I say, almost every school referendum across the state that was put on the ballot passed? In New Berlin, they wouldn't put this on the ballot unless they were confident that they were going to get this passed in April. Shorewood wouldn't put a $65 million spending increase on the ballot unless they were confident they were going to get in April. The 77 other school districts who put these referendums on the ballot last year were obviously pretty confident that they were going to get it. The only surprise, really, was that you had five districts where the voters said no. Voters are overwhelmingly saying yes to all these spending referendum, including recognizing that in some cases it's going to increase their property taxes for quite a bit, quite a bit of money, and for quite a few years. And yet voters keep voting for them over and over and over again. Why is that? Do you have a theory? 414-799-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it because we've let the schools, well, just completely fall apart? Now we have to put in this money that we should have been put in over the years. Is it that the people who push for these things are better advocates? Is it that people don't care about taxation anymore? 
What's going on? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. It's 216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Why do you vote or why do, for or why do you vote against these school referendums? Because chances are, if there hasn't been one in your community recently, there will be one soon. 216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, this is one of the most interesting phenomena o- over the last decade or so. It used to be that school spending referendums, maybe they pass 50-50. You know, one out of every two might pass. In the last election cycle, 90%, 9 out of 10, passed. Almost every school district in the state that asked for money got it. Now, that, that's okay. The voters are making that decision. And I I appreciate voters and individual communities have the right to do it. But they're doing it at a time where uh, class size, the number of students is decreasing. And they are in, in most school districts, not all, but in most, the number of kids that are going to school are decreasing. And, you know, some of these are, are committing people for decades of higher property taxes. And yet the voters are voting for this. Why is this going on? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Oak Creek. Hi, Bob. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think's going on? Why do these pass? Because, first of all, all of the Democrats in Wisconsin vote for the referendum. So that's about 48% of the population. And then you have every Democrat and Republican that has a child in the public school system They vote yes for the referendum, so that puts it at about 60% yes and 40% no. Well, let me... Let me ask you about the first statement. Every Democrat votes in favor of this. You're talking about, in many cases, you've got people who are living on fixed incomes or, you know, limited amounts of money, and, and they're talking about raising their taxes. You, 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 don't think there's any, you, you don't think there's any hesitation about that. If you're a Democrat, you're voting to raise your taxes. Absolutely. I'm retired, and if you're, you know, friends of mine, they are totally behind the schools, and they don't care how much it's going to cost because, you know what, somebody else is going to pay for it. Well, um, well, thanks. Well, I mean, yeah, except... I, I, except, I mean, that's the, you are, when people are doing this, they are voting to raise their own taxes. And, and that's why, I mean, I'm not sure it's a partisan issue necessarily, at least on that level, because it's, it, it's homeowners that are deciding, all right, we're going to commit ourselves to paying X hundreds of dollars more a year in property tax, and we're going to commit ourselves to doing this for years and years and years to come. 414-799-1620, let's talk to, Jim in Plymouth. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I think uh, Bob hit it right on the head. People are all in favor of entitlement programs they don't have to pay for. Mm-hmm. These people just aren't paying for it. They're just wanting to take, and that's the bottom line. I just, you know, it's easy. I'll vote for anything I don't have to pay for, too. Mm-hmm. I, mean, so- I may have to pay a little bit, but my little bit doesn't matter. I don't own any property. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a renter. What do I care? I don't want to be seen to be anti-school here. I'm going to. Yeah, I'll I'll vote for it. Somebody else has to pay for it. huh? Yeah, that's the sentiment that's out there. You know, they get something for nothing and they're getting something for nothing. Yeah. And I think. Well, no, I appreciate it. And I guess I I mean, it is it is always easier to spend other people's money. At the same time, I'm not sure that automatically explains it, because like our first caller, Bob, was saying, I think there's probably a lot of people who who 
who are spending their money by voting to increase their own property taxes. I have to tell you, see, I just, I think this is one of these things that's going to be a time bomb moving forward. That, that we're, I think people who are voting for a lot of these referendums and committing and committing their communities to this this borrowing and these spendings and and spending and obligating people for expenses moving forward there's going to be a time where where you have to pay the piper especially in school districts where the 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 kids there's not as many kids coming in it's we're not we are not in a growth mode for kids millennials or whoever they're not having children like the baby boomers had children so i think if you look at a lot of the school districts admittedly not all of them but a lot of these school districts you're not going to see expansive growth nobody thinks there's going to be monster growth over the course of the next several years so you're going to have these brand spanking new buildings the question is going to be you know are you going to have enough kids that are going to go in there let's talk to jeff in west Dallas. hi jeff hi what do you think what's going on i here? think it's I think it's a reaction to uh, Act 10 and the uh, Scott Walker cuts. Okay. I, I think that uh, uh, many of the cuts, um, certainly from the, the Democrats and uh, even uh, moderates, felt that um, at times it just it, it went so far with uh, with some of his Act, Tech, Act 10 cuts that, um, you know, the, the schools in some cases were um, falling apart a little bit. And um, certainly, I agree with what you're saying that numbers are declining in the, in the future for kids and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that even with a fewer amount of kids, that uh, they shouldn't have nicer facilities or updated technologies or things of that nature. Do you think there's going to be a backlash at some point in time? Do you think that the, the pendulum's going to swing back at some point? Or is this is this the wave of the future? You know, anything schools want as far as capital improvements, the voters will give them to them. I think uh, history kind of shows that, yeah, the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, uh, uh, and that's what I think is, uh, was happening with these referendums was uh, it was swinging back towards um, funding schools and stuff like that, and I think that uh, you know over time, uh, people are gonna you know go the other way yeah, as I, well. I, I think you know trying to find the middle ground is always difficult. Yeah, see, I am thanks. For, I Jim, I agree. I agree. I think I think there's a couple things that are are going on. I, I think first of all, the advocates for these referendums historically are better organized than the people that oppose them. Again, I'm talking about generalities. It might differ from community to community. But but you have some very motivated groups. I mean, starting generally with the, the public education lobby, and then you've got uh, the, the kids who's like the PTA groups who who's you know, kids are in school and are going to be directly impacted, and they're highly motivated, and there's really nobody out there organizing the opposition. So I think the, the pro-school referendum folks always have an advantage. I think maybe there is some sort of backlash that was out there to the Act 10, and, okay, well, we, we're starving these public schools. Now, I don't think that's necessarily fair, but maybe that there is that assumption that's out there. And, and But this, I think we're going to look back at this, and I, I do think some of these school districts, five years down the road, 
10 years down the road that are going to be looking at enrollment that's kind of continuing to decline or falling off a cliff and are going to have some of these nice, new, expansive buildings and no kids in them. And then you're going to have property taxpayers saying, well, why do we have all this extra space, et cetera, et cetera? And this is costing me $500 extra a year. I'm on a fixed income or I'm looking to sell my place and the property taxes aren't competitive. I think there's going to be a backlash at some point in time. Probably, I think my guess is it's not at that point now. The other thing is, unlike 10 years ago, the economy is very, very robust now. So I think people feel better about spending, oh, you know, what's another couple hundred dollars here or there? If these were different economic times, maybe there would be tougher choices. And then I get it. I, I get. I understand the other thing is, well, it's it's for it's for the kids. My guess is these referendums in New Berlin and the referendum in Shorewood is probably going to pass. My guess is most referendums they put on the ballot will probably pass. And again, I'm I have I I can't criticize if you're in your community you want to vote for one of these you're you're making that decision yourself. I just think there's going to be buyer remorse at some point in time. Two twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so the boat show is going on this week. The star of the show is Twiggy, the water skiing squirrel. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, you're looking at me with skepticism. You should see a YouTube of Twiggy, the water skiing squirrel. I'm, that's pretty darn impressive. I'm, I'm not in the market for a boat, but you know, um, a squirrel on water skis. I'm not in the market for a boat, but. Um, I don't know. Twiggy, let's see. Tomorrow, 1 p.m., I'm going to be doing the show. 4 p.m., probably don't have time. 7 p.m., Saturday, 1, 4, and 7 p.m. Huh. Got to take my wife to the airport. But after that, I'm, I might have time to run out there. Twiggy, the water skiing squirrel. I, I'm telling you, this YouTube thing, I'm going to be watching that tonight again. It was just something amazing. All right. We live in interesting times. This is the story of a guy named Jake Talbot. He is a staff sergeant with the U.S. military. He regularly works out at a gym in Troy, Missouri, called CDY Fitness. Now, let's back up here. Missouri is Trump country. Seems like a lot of the topics today, you know, involve or the periphery of President Trump. So he, he works out. Missouri went for Trump in the 2016 election. Missouri um, is one of the states that dumped an incumbent Democratic U.S. Senator, Claire McCaskill, at the last election. So there's a lot of Trump supporters in in Missouri. I don't know if that matters or not for our story. Um, he's the, the guy's a veteran. He's a National Guardsman. But for the last eight years, he has been regularly working out at this gym. And... He has a a series of shirts, you know, that he wears to work out. But one of the shirts that he wears is it's a black shirt and it says 2016 Trump for president. That's what it says. It doesn't doesn't have violent imagery on it, doesn't have guns, doesn't have bad words. It just says 2016 Trump for for president. All right. So he comes into this gym regularly. He's in there the other day, and the the owner, she kind of takes him aside, 
And she says, um, I'd like to ask you not to wear this shirt anymore. And he says, well, well, why? And she says, well, um, I think it could be construed as racist. And several of the other members at the gym had complained about feeling uncomfortable when you came in wearing the shirt that said Trump 2016. So the guy says, well, okay, let me, let me think about this. And the more he starts thinking about it, the more he says that, you know, hey, look, <laughs> it, this is a free country. And you mean to tell me I can't wear a shirt to a business that says Trump 2016. So he, as people do nowadays, I mean, he takes this, he goes public. He puts this up on social media and, you know, he, he gets, you know, a, a ton of response to this. Some good, some bad. Uh, the lady, for her point, says, well, look, I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to run a business. And, and I don't want there to be confrontations. And if some people, some of my customers, are offended by this, well, I mean, I, I want him to keep coming back, so I, I'm just asking him to get rid of this. I I, I want to run a politics-free zone. And then, of course, they say to her, well, have you ever told anybody that they can't wear other T-shirts that have political uh, candidates on them? And she says, well, no, I haven't. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. No obscenities, no images of violence. It's just a T-shirt that says Trump 2016 on it. And you've got some people who say they are uncomfortable by this, and they feel that anybody who would wear that is racist. Should the owner have told this guy, you cannot wear that shirt, or I don't want you wearing that shirt in here. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or alternatively, should the owner's response have been to the people who complained, well, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way, but, you know, it, it is a, it's a free country, and... I don't know. I'm not the T-shirt police. 414-799-1620. Was the owner doing, do you think the owner was within her rights or doing the right thing? I guess that's a separate question. Do you think she was doing the right thing in asking the guy not to wear the Trump 2016 T-shirt? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It was actually 2016 Trump for President t-shirt we discuss in just a moment i'll tell you where i come down on this please stick around it's 241 jeff wagner wtmj 243 jeff wagner wtmj if you're just tuning in guy belongs to the national guard in missouri he's been going to this gym to work out for about eight years one of the shirts that he wears when he works out says trump for 2016 trump for president so he's in there working out the other day the owner comes up to him and says Look, I, I, I'd like to ask you, I don't want you wearing that shirt here anymore. Some of the other patrons have complained. They think it's racist. They are feeling threatened. I want this to be my happy place, so please don't wear that shirt anymore. And the guy, he's now gone public with this, saying, hey, last time I checked, this was a free country. What do you mean I can't wear a shirt that says Trump for president 2016? Missouri, by the way, voted for Trump for president in 2016. So who's right? Who's wrong? Should the owner have asked him not to wear this shirt? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lois and Racine. Hi, Lois. Hi. What do you think? 
I think that this is getting ridiculous. I think that that would be like if I saw someone with a T-shirt with Martin Luther King on it, I said, oh, my God, that's racist, because all they're thinking about is someone who's black. Um, They're just getting crazy. This is the president of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Well, um, right. I mean, right. It, he's not doing right. It's it's not a T-shirt that has any sort of obscenities on it. It's not a T-shirt that has guns on it. It's just right. It's a T-shirt that says Trump Trump for President 2016 or whatever. Yeah. Right. Now, it, it's no different than those kids wearing the hats at the Washington Monument. They bought hats because they were in Washington, D.C., and they bought Trump hats. He's our president. Right now, th- thanks for calling. See, and, and actually, it's, I'm glad you remembered the first story of the day. I've kind of brought this around full bore. I, I mean, look, I don't know. I, I don't know on a technical legal basis that the owner might be within her rights to to set up dress codes. And, and I don't want this particular T-shirt there. So, I mean, does the guy have a legal claim? I don't know. But I, I will tell you, um, if, if I were him. Uh, this is one where I'd be finding a different gym because I think she's way, way, way out of line. And here's the truth of the matter. Would she have gone up? And this is always the, the question I apply. If somebody was wearing a, a, a Hillary Clinton T-shirt, you know, would she have gone up and said, no, no, take off the Hillary Clinton T-shirt or take off the Barack Obama T-shirt? And the answer is, of course, she wouldn't. At the same time, my guess is that there's not too many people that would have complained about that. But here, because it's President Trump, oh, I'm offended. Uh, or or I think he's a racist, so if you are wearing that T-shirt, that means you are a racist, too. I mean, really? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Zach in Waukesha. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again. What do you think? Um, I, I would kind of agree with the, the last call. Like, we're just getting too ridiculous with, with everything, especially since it's just, hey, I this uh, candidate, 2016, I like your point of view. Well, if it was a Hillary, would it be the same thing? I also agree. I don't think it would have been. Um, I, yeah, people are just getting too oversensitive. But I will talk to you about the dress codes for a gym because there are, and I don't know if this is a major gym that someone's franchise or if it's a smaller community gym. I get the um, I get the fact that it's a smaller privately owned one as opposed to okay. like a big chain or something. Yeah. Okay. So it is private. So I'd wonder what there is because uh, some of the bigger gyms, like Experience, I know. Um, in the fine print of your contract, they do have dress regulations on what you can wear at the gym. And like uh, I know one for um, females is, or they really want to be more uh, body positive. Sure. So um, they don't want a lot of half shirts there. So if, and, sure. and you could go both ways on this argument that if you are really fit and you could wear a half shirt, they just don't, and you worked hard on your body and you should be able to show it off. They don't want you to just make other people feel bad who are trying to, be better shape. So well, I well think right. No, thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, right. I think, and don't get me wrong. I, I think. See, this is how I always present these things. I, I think that you know, just because you might have a, a legal right to do something doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. Do, do owners, do owners of businesses have the rights to instill dress codes? Absolutely. And 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 I, there, there's all sorts of reasons you could have these things. She doesn't have a dress code in place that says, you know, no political T-shirts. There, there's not anything like that there. This was simply a response 
to you know one or more customers who said, oh, he's wearing a Trump shirt. We think that it's racist and we feel threatened. So this was her reaction to it. There wasn't a, a, a rule that says no political T-shirts. Now, could she put a rule in place like that? I, I guess, yeah, she could. My question would be, you know, is that an overreaction as well? Or at some point in time, and I always describe the people that get offended by saying, okay, it's the politically correct and the perpetually offended. I, I don't know about you, but when I, I'm at the gym, I'm on this treadmill. I mean, all I'm trying to do is get my time in and not have a heart attack and, you know, and do my exercise. I, I don't care if the person next to me has a, I wear Jimmy Buffett t-shirts. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe somebody says, I don't like Jimmy Buffett. You know, why would you wear that? Should we say, okay, well, somebody's going to be offended. So you, you can't wear, wear that. Or guy next to me is wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. Do I get to say, well, I mean, I, I'm offended by Che Guevara. I, I don't, I don't want you, you know, being able to wear that i mean or do we just simply say it's a t-shirt get over it now i understand if it's obscene or it's got something that's legitimately offensive but this idea that you could wear a t-shirt you know that that says that you support the president of the united states and in 2019 that gets you thrown out of a gym i mean you know really let's talk to todd in greenfield todd you're on wtmj hi jeff thanks for taking my call what do you think well, initially, I was going to side with the guy with the shirt for a free speech. But the fact is, I switched to the owner of the gym, whereas if people are offended and they're speaking out, that's fine. But if it's going to cost her revenue, that's maybe what she's concerned about. But if she does not have that in the dress code, I'm siding back with the guy, the shirt. Yeah, there's she no... Have, if she doesn't have it posted in there, they, but... she better change it. Would yeah, you, yeah, no, I don't think there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I know there. There's no dress code. This is no. There, there's there, well, I, I don't know. There's no dress code. This right. wasn't a dress code violation. This was a couple people complained about your shirt um, because they don't like the politics of it. Here, I, I prefer you not wear one. Well, I just think they're whiners and just get over it and just work <laughs> out and don't let it bother you. you yeah, know? I yeah just, right. I think I guess I I do I do too. When I mean. Look, I understand that President Trump is controversial. Nancy Pelosi is, is controversial. Barack Obama was controversial. George, President George W. Bush was controversial. Bill Clinton was controversial. I mean, when did we get to a point in this country where, you know, we're, we're now saying, I mean, maybe it's, it's just the revenge of the snowflakes or whatever, that, that somebody is so uncomfortable because they see, in this case, somebody wearing a Donald Trump shirt. But again, it, it could be, any, you're, you're wearing a Bill Clinton t-shirt. Oh my gosh, I couldn't stand him. I, I feel uncomfortable. I think that you're, um, you know, denigrating women because of Clinton's behavior. I, I'm uncomfortable. You need to change it. At some point in time, you know, don't we need to have the grown-ups? And this is one, and, and again, I, it's a private business so you get to make business decisions and I don't think this is is illegal it's not protected but what she's really saying when she says this to this guy is okay um, I, I anybody who supports President Trump well because some of my patrons don't agree with this um, and think he's a racist and that means that you guys are all racists well that, that's essentially hanging up a sign that says all right, I don't want your business. I mean, this I because, you know, we're not going to allow you to express yourself. Wouldn't the better response in this case to simply been to the people that complain, well, 
It, it's just the shirt. Ma'am, has he done anything to you? Has he said anything to you which would make you feel uncomfortable? No. So you're just objecting that he's got the T-shirt. What is it on the T-shirt that is particularly offensive? Does it have bad words? Does it have pictures of naked people? Well, no, it, it doesn't. It just says, you know, Trump for president 2016. Well, all right. What are you going to do? Are you going to wander around being offended at every bumper sticker that you see, whether it says Tammy Baldwin or Ron Johnson or Russ Feingold or, heaven forbid, you know, Trump 2016? I mean, at some point in time, don't we have to toughen up a little bit and just kind of roll with it? It would never occur to me at the gym that I work out in to see somebody that had, I don't know, you know, a T-shirt that says, um, Elizabeth Warren for president, 2020. Would, would I go up to the desk and say, no, I, I think, you know, I, I think you need to, to make her stop wearing that because I feel that, you know, it, it would be very threatening to this country. No, wear it. Put on your bumper stickers. Isn't that what America is supposed to be all about? Just asking. All right. When we take, I'm sorry, we got jam phone lines on this, but we're kind of up against the clock. Um, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds. Wisconsin's afternoon news is coming up. It's 2:53. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.